welcome back to Following Noah on Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 125, and we are continuing through part four of Rhythm of War. Paul, how are you? Well, um, another week, another good chunk further into our story, some more exciting things to talk about. So I'm looking forward to it. Elliot. I'm amazed at how far we've come. We are, we're over a thousand pages into this, this book now. I, I posted a picture in our, our Discord this week of, you can just see the weight, like the physical weight of the pages that we've covered now is, you know, a good two inches and there's like mm-hmm. a quarter of an inch left in the, the rest of the book. So we are fast approaching the end of this thing. We are, we are. Next week, we will end part four of, of Rhythm of War. We'll head into part five after that. So we are quickly approaching the end of this book. Do you guys have two words for this chapter or this episode? Elliot? My two words are emergence and effort. Emergence and effort. Paul? My two words are respect and retry all right let's use these four words talk about rhythm of war all right elliot would you like to expound upon yours of course. I picked Emergence for Venley. Almost an unintentional Emergence, actually. <laughs> yes. I think she may have just made her first major oops. We'll see. I Actually, I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on that because I wasn't quite sure if it was a, an oops or not, but she may have just revealed her, her identity the other emergence, though, is a far more terrifying, actually, and that would be the emergence of formless. Mm. Yikes. Yes. My other word is effort. And if I could do three words, I would probably pair like valiant effort with that. This was for both Navani and Adolin. I feel like Adolin... Adolin is truly, we mentioned this a little bit in, in last week's episode. He is making a darn valiant effort at this trial thing. He really is. I'm, I'm proud of him. I'm really proud of him for the way he's going about this and the speeches that he's, he's giving. Very inspiring, actually. And then Navani is still putting in her, her old college try over on the, the, find antimatter sides of things and may have made a breakthrough at the end of this, which I'm very curious about. So a lot of good effort. Paul. Definitely. Definitely a lot of good effort. I agree with you there, Elliot. Um, Before I talk about my two words, I'm going to actually go ahead and jump into our mug this week. Okay. Uh, We have a new surgeon, I believe. I might have to get fact-checked. Fact yep, I'm fact-checking myself. A new surgeon. 
very excited. Um, you're on actually not a mug, but a beautiful, wa- very colorful water bottle. We've got some blue, some purple, and some, I guess, fuchsia or pink, whatever. Colors are hard. And we want to say a special thank you to Adriana. I'm going to stick with that. I don't think it, I think it's Adriana. Um, and we really appreciate your support. And uh, yeah, it's always good to have another surgeon in the party, you know, um, another person to help take care of everyone. So we really appreciate your support, Adriana. So, yes. Ow, I hit myself in the tooth with <laughs> That is a horrible <laughs> feeling. I commiserate for you. Oh, no. Okay. Well, now it's just ruined. Now you have to record a whole um, episode with a hurt tooth. Exactly. All right. Um, going into my words now, though. Um, respect and retry. Respect is uh, in reference to Navani. Um, how her with uh, I'm blanking. Raboniel, uh, kind of have gained. She kind of wins Raboniel's respect throughout this that we've seen like like a genuine caring respect and i think that is really cool um and i'm excited to dive into that more um retry is kind of a reference to teft um down where where he's mentioned and just we we kind of keep seeing teft coming up from like just bad bad choices if you will like just like struggling with addiction and things like that, um, and I feel like it's just getting Teft to like retry was kind of the sentiment uh, of things going on. So that was my my other word. Sounds good. We open this episode with chapter eighty eight, and I don't know if there's too much to talk about in this flashback chapter. Venley has successfully captured a a storm spread this is a um again towards the end of their war with the with the alethi she successfully captured a storm spread and uh, the only other thing i will mention here is how disconnected venli seems from her original original goals here we've mentioned it before but the the further down this path venli goes the more it seems to affect her emotionally and um, all of that. So, did you guys get anything else from this chapter? Not much other than this was another example of something that could be depicted incredibly impactfully visually. Yeah. I could... I can very clearly see this in my imagination of Esh and I walking out into the storm and, you know, the, the screen going black and then the lightning strikes and it just illuminates, you know, Esh and I struggling through the storm and then the chasm fiend coming up, you know, in front of, of Esh and I out of the, the, the chasm and then the spren appearing that, and then going with Esh and I, like no no words, just an epic score and some really stark visuals that you could pair with this. Be really, really cool. Yeah. 
is the Spren Timber. That was my question. I was reading the description of it and trying to remember our descriptions of timber, and they didn't they didn't quite seem to match up. The color maybe seemed right, this kind of bright white, like pulsing spren, but then this one was described as like fiery, I think, like white fire. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure we've had that adjective used to describe timber before, so I wasn't sure. Okay. Yeah, t- typically timber and fire don't mix well, or maybe they <laughs> mix exceptionally well. It's <laughs> up for you to decide. Boo, boo. <laughs> no, that's a good one. Oh, I'll, I'll, on. get, I'll give it to you. That's a good one. I was going to say, I'm kind of proud of that. <laughs> the, the music nerds are going to come after you, though, for the, yes. the usage of that word. That, <laughs> that is not the correct timber, but. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I understand. I understand. Yeah, not, I genuinely don't know if this is timber or not. We know that timber originally was attracted to Eshenai before jumping on to Venli after Eshenai's death. Uh, so is this the origin of Timber and Eshenai? I don't know. I don't know. It also seemed to be have something to do with the Chasm Fiend. Mm-hmm. Like the, the spread either comes out of the Chasm Fiend or around the Chasm Fiend or something like that. So I don't know what that means. And it didn't seem to be described the way the, I forget what they're called, the spren that are specifically associated with chasm fiends that yeah. always show up around them. It seemed a different type than those that allow the chasm fiends to grow larger than gravity should allow. Right. I felt like this was a different one than those. But it did seem like it came out of the chasm fiend, or even you could go as far as like the chasm fiend was bestowing this spren upon yeah. I Like those were the vibes I was getting. Yeah. And it's a fairly spiritual scene to begin with because Eshenai runs into the storm and speaks aloud to the writer of storms. And this is not the, the name of the storm father is never mentioned, but I would assume that is the same person in, in, in lore of, is she just interprets it as the rider of storms as opposed to the storm fathers, just this two different names for the same being. That's how I took it. All right. 89. Raboniel has supplied Navani with investiture sand, or shall I more accurately investiture spotting sand it starts black and if it is exposed to investiture it goes up uh scales up to to white in its chrome so uh what did you guys think of the sand and do you know where it's from don't we know where it's from isn't it from our other story that we read in arcanum unbounded Yes. Um, that was the only sand I could think of um, that was notable. It was called like the something of the white sands, wasn't yes, it? It was, it was called white sand. Okay. I thought it was something with the white sand. But, okay. White sand. There yep. we go. Short and sweet. So the excerpt 
um, from Chris in Arcanum Unbounded talking about whatever the planet name is. Oh man, I should have looked that up beforehand. Um, it's going to bother me. Um, talks about the planet and how if you just if you were to zoom out and look look at the planet from you know thousands of miles away, it would look like one half of the planet is white and one half of the planet is black because the sunlight on the planet makes the uh the sand glow white and the permanent darkness on the other half of the planet makes the planet be black. So black sand on one half white sand on the other is it taldane is the name of that planet thank you taldane wait to go that's some trivia or something paying off there elliot or Google i don't think we have that i was gonna say oh. <laughs> you find you finally allowed yourself you knew to, that to you wiki. totally knew that <laughs> yeah i definitely i definitely yeah. knew that off the top of my head i had to think about it for a little bit mm-hmm. yeah i was just remembering yeah mm-hmm. the there's a little teaser, at least for me, it's a teaser in this section. Navani is, is they're talking about the sand and this is the kind of narrator. Navani's perspective says this. Rabonio gave her the strange black sand, explaining the difference between static and kinetic investiture. And then it goes on to like, Talk about other stuff immediately after that. Wait, tell me. Stop, stop right there. Tell me what static and and (laughs) kinetic investiture is. Why, why do I not get to hear that conversation? Because I really want to know. And then it made me worried. Like, am I supposed to already know what that is? I already know that. Yeah. Because it's almost presented as if Navani gets to learn about that. What we already know about, but I, I don't remember mention of that before. So I'll do I, a quick Google search because I myself don't know either. I I think I'm being teased here by Mr. Sanderson. So according to the seventeenth shard, kinetic investiture acts as a fuel while static investiture gives only passive effects. So so you can't use the sand to surge bind? Correct. Perhaps. Correct. It's just going to like reflect investiture around it. And you can't use the light given off from stormlight as investiture. You can only use mm. the investiture in the sphere if you can make that distinction in your head. Okay. That's helpful. Man, this article is way longer than I thought it was going to be. There, there is a, there is sufficient. That there, there is sufficient uh, information out there. If that eases your brain, we won't get into it yet. I will learn one day. I'll cling to that hope. Okay. Um, yes. So, white sand on uh, Navani's 
desk here. What what is the experiment they're running today? Is this the experiment where she tries to overload it with electricity? She has the she has a stormform singer regal go in there and zap it with all they got and see if they can turn void light into anti void light. Right. And it is unsuccessful, but Navani is not trying to play her hand in front of Raboniel and says, Oh, I'm just testing it with other types of investiture. So she, she's trying to create anti void light and zap it with lightning, but it did not work. So, well, yeah, we'll, we'll see where that leads, but it's just a, a red herring at the moment, apparently. Interesting mention in this chapter, Rabonio talks about Braze a little bit. Yes. She talks about, she mentions that, that, that she is tied to the Roshar system and can't leave it, which yes. I'll come back to that in a second. Yes, but we will talk about that. I actually thought was also interesting that they, she talks about how they, to get to Braze, you have to use Shadesmar. But she mentions that they've attempted to get to Braze in the physical realm by sending heavenly ones, the, the, the singers, the fuse that can fly literally out into space to try and travel to the other planet and quickly realized how impossible that is. Yep. Even with stormlight to try and, you know, heal you as the vacuum of space kills you. Right. They tried, I guess they did try. And which would lead you to say, in theory, it is possible, just like we we know that space travel is, is possible. So if you had a, a vacuum-sealed ship and threw a Fabriel on it that said, lash me that way, and then you just waited for a while, I mean, in theory, it is possible. Well, it actually is a decent example of how I think the humans are a little more creative little bit more innovative than the fused are i mean you think navani's already designed an aircraft it's not that much further to have the technology to design a spaceship right you can design a sealed vessel that you can fill with enough oxygen to breathe and enough fabrials to yeah push you in that direction really hard for a really long time you'll get there eventually All right, let's talk about Raboniel has a, a mention that, yeah, the sand is from off-world. And Navani kind of shakes herself and was like, what? I'm holding moon rocks? And uh, Raboniel's like, oh, yeah, like, don't worry about it. There's other planets. You'll get over that pretty quick. And I've really wanted to go to to the place where you can grab this white sand, but I'm not allowed, is what she says. I am stuck to Roshar, or the three planets in the Rosharan system, is what she really means as Roshar. So she's stuck to Ashen, Braze, and Roshar, the planet. And this is not the first time we've heard mention of this. What 
what'd you guys get from her being bound to Roshar? And I, I and was why? Going, I was going to bring this up, and, and I, I don't know, think I have much of an answer for you. Just more confusion, more questions at the moment. Um, I guess I didn't realize it was all of Roshar. In my mind, it was like she's bound to to Roshar and Braes, like the Parshendi are kind of bound to those two places. And I was just thinking about, I don't know, how I don't get it. Uh-huh. I don't get why they go back there. Is is My only guess is this has something to do with their, like, origin, like, something to do with their creation. Like, I, I don't I don't know why there'd be some binding agent to this place. It seems like some characters can go wherever. We have Azure, we have um, Zyle, we have... I'm glad you brought them up. Hoid, we have... Um, Marais has probably traveled places, or at least has things from other places. Um, We've got plenty of hints of a handful of other characters that have showed up mm-hmm. other places. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I I think of the... There was some, like, soldier or whatever that was with Dalinar when he went to the Night Watcher. Yep. There's a lot of just, like, random little things. Yep. Um, And so I'm like, okay, it is possible, at least for some people. Like, why can't... Is this, is this a Parshendi thing? Is this just her? I imagine it's a Parshendi thing. It's my guess. Um, but I don't know why. What is that thing? What's I don't know what keeps them bound. I know whenever we've gone to Shadesmar with our characters... I think of the like Oathgate spread and how they were really hard. Like we couldn't really get around them. You know, it felt like we were stuck in Shadesmar for a long time. I wonder if they can't use Oathgates in the same way. I don't. I don't. I don't get it. It's all that to say. I don't know. One of those examples of people we know can world travel is particularly notable in trying to figure this out, and that's Zile. For yep. me, because yep. my my first thought in this why can't Robonial travel would be, well, she's basically a spren. She's basically just a soul at this point, and she's just embodied, she's just attached herself to a singer body kind of almost temporarily. If she dies, she just comes back. So I then kind of jump to, well, maybe the spren or the the spiritual, that's not the right term though, the cognitive beings here can't leave this system. But then I think of Zyle. We were just recently told that Zyle is a cognitive shadow, which is seeming to be similar-ish to a Spren. Right. And yet he can clearly travel worlds. So now I'm actually, I would probably lean towards the, I wonder if this has to do with the Oath Pact. Because Raboniel specifically says in this chapter my soul is bound to braze. Yep. Which is, as far as we know, not the native planet for the singers, which would be Roshar. Roshar being the native planet, they're native there. So why is her soul tied to braze? Is that effectively what the Oath Pact did? Was bound their souls to braze in some sort of a manner that's unbreakable. So that's why she can't leave the system. And that's why when somehow there's a herald there they can't leave braze because they're bound to it 
Like that, that seems to maybe fit in with that puzzle we're still trying to solve. Yeah. I don't know if I have a full answer for you, but another being that has mentioned this is Kalak. Kalak has mentioned this in the first chapter that he shows up to uh, Lasting Integrity. He's saying, I need to get off this planet and I haven't figured out a way to do it yet. Uh, I'm as far away from the action as I possibly can be. I'm locked in lasting integrity. I've locked myself in here because I don't want any part of it. And as soon as I figure out how to get off the planet, get off the planet, get off the system, I will. I'm gone. So Oath Pact is another common denominator there of we know that Kalak is directly bound, um, directly responsible even for the the Oath Pact. And yes, Zyle is a great um, way to bring this up. Vivenna um, is another one where we've seen her on physical Roshar. We've seen her travel across Shadesmar without any issues, it seems. And in Zyle's words, both of them are type two invested entities is as, as he would define them. So he turns to Syl and calls her a type one invested entity because that's what he used to call himself. And now he calls himself a type two because he is a cognitive shadow. He is, he is, his soul has bound investiture as opposed to bound a body. So he has since abandoned his original body and bound himself to investiture. Um, and then has traveled around and, you know, either grabbed other hosts or uh, invested another physical body. I don't know how that works. Um, so Zyle is obviously able to do what Raboniel is wishing she could do. And seemingly the same for Kalak. Uh, so why they cannot is the, is a good question. That's a good question. I, I would I would say that because Raboniel says that Navani could because she is not something that Raboniel is. Raboniel is bound to braze. So whether that is she can because she's not a cognitive shadow or she can because she's not a part of the Oath Pact, whatever that means, Navani can travel between worlds. Raboniel cannot. So we'll see, I guess. Or maybe we won't. Navani tries, again, she's tried this multiple times, she tries to suggest a treaty with Raboniel. Let, let's sign a treaty, let's stop the fighting, so that we can really get down to what do you want, what do I want, what does Odium want, what does Dalinar want, all of that fun stuff. And what does Raboniel say? No. She does. She says, we've tried it before. It never works. And she uses the excuse of we're opposites. We're designed to kill each other. Which I feel like they've just disproven with their whole warlight thing. But anyway, she just dismisses it pretty um, pretty offhand. And between 89 and 92, 
Raboniel seems to be fairly close to finishing up her work in, in the tower. She claims that she's close to finding the last node, is what she says in this chapter. She, in chapter 92, which we'll get to later, she basically resigns Venli from her service, gives her a writ of authority, and says you can go do whatever you need to. So Raboniel seems really close to being done with her, her gambit here. So whatever that is. Well, and she drops a line about what that is. <clears throat> she states that she's intending to unmake the sibling. Yes. And this is a bit of a... I think Navani understands the implications of that. I'm not 100% sure. She knows about unmade, so I think so. Basically, it's not, I'm not trying to destroy the sibling. It's worse. I'm trying to turn the sibling into an unmade. Yep. Which, I mean, makes perfect sense, I think. Because what I, I would assume they're intending to do then is create an unmade that then can power the tower. Right. And then run the tower for the fused and become a stronghold of the fused on Roshar, which would be incredibly powerful. Also gives more merit to the unmade theory that I presented to you guys the other uh, handful of episodes ago now, that the unmade were all originally spren of a different city on Roshar, and the sibling is just the spren of Yurithiru, who has now never been unmade before. So... And then we get to our tone plate things from shout out to Capsule again. Raboniel walks out and then walks back in with these little plates uh, and begins strumming on them to play the, the tones of Odium, the tones of Honor to create the, the rhythm of war that we've seen accomplished and why does she do that why does she what what is the reasoning that raboniel says of why she just did that she talks about it as a gift this this is your gift navani as i'm gonna play these tones for you yes you're welcome don't you feel so blessed yes i, I was kind of like um okay great but what is the byproduct of it? Uh, the the last sentence of the chapter, the big reveal that Navani has. Well, that's the interesting part about it that I did not think was intentional on uh -huh. the part, which is the they put these plates on the table, and they they have these big like violin bows that they draw across them to create the the tones but what that does is creates a vibration you know that these plates are sitting on the table so they they resonate at these tones well they also vibrate so they vibrate into the table and all this sand that we just talked about is still on the table and so it starts to form the the shapes and patterns the whole back to whole cymatics capsule discussion of you start to see the patterns form in the sand on the table 
one on one side with the one plate playing odium's tone forms a certain symbol the one on the other side playing honor's tone forms a certain symbol and then kind of i imagine is as you go across the table it kind of transitions away from the odium symbol or odium patterns into a specific mixed pattern and then again transitions into an honor pattern on right. the other side and so that's kind of where Navani walks away with this light bulb of vibrations. Can I play with vibrations to try and invert a sound? I can find the opposite of a vibration because of the, a vibration is a pattern. So in theory, I can find the opposite of that to create opposite light is the, right. is the theory that she goes down to. Now back to Raboniel. I did. W I wanted to highlight the oddity of Raboniel's performance here because she leaves and then comes back and says, "This is a gift for you, Navani. Here is here's a ritual that we have." Places it on the sand desk, and it seems accidental that the way Raboniel comes back in, plays these tones, and then the sand goes um, vibrates across her desk. I think no I think Raboniel knows exactly what she's doing though. And I think she's trying to put these ideas in Navani's head so that Navani can finish this project where Raboniel can't figure it out herself. Because she knows Navani is smart and she's gonna give her this next clue so that she keeps working. That's my theory at least. I'm not 100% sure. So are we going to start making some anti-music to make our anti-light? That is or... the implication. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> like yeah. I don't I don't know what you just said. My brain does not yeah, compute yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's like I get so if you find the it is a lot to like try and wrap your brain around. Like I'm still trying to do so like as I'm speaking right now. So like we have a frequency right with the whole sand mm -hmm. and that like, or vibration is like a pattern. If you like reverse the pattern, I'm guessing you could also do that with like sound waves sound or waves. music structure, like right. music structure kind of thing. So, it I would guess... just sound really bad. It would be like Discord, which like makes sense, you know? The, so the theory is, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Science Man over there, you have a tone which creates a sound wave. And then if you create the exact opposite of that sound wave, it'll cancel out all sound, right? And you hear nothing. I think it's a little more complicated than that, but yes, that's the the way I understand it, yes, is it is possible to completely zero out a frequency. Right. With... Yeah, they have to, like... I could be totally wrong. I think they have to, like, clash in order for it to, like, eliminate the sound. I don't actually know. Somebody who knows stuff about sound, please inform us in the comments. Yes, please. Yeah, but yeah, that's something I'm curious to... So I assume the implication here is you find that exact opposite frequency, play it, and you can create anti-investiture. That's 
that's what I assume is happening here. I'm curious to see if Navani can devise some experiments to test this, if she'll be able to to work on that. I'm I'm assuming that all she's going to have to go off of, though, is the patterns that it makes in the sand, because she doesn't have the equipment to measure frequency and amplitude of sound waves. Yeah, right. That's so true. she may go about this a different way of just looking at, hey, can I see that pattern in the sand? Can I find a a, a tone or a frequency that that makes the opposite or you know, a mirrored image maybe, or something like that. Right. I don't know. Mirrored image is an interesting idea. I think it's kind of, this is a brief comment. I think it's funny that we've, we've now looked at this like sand several times, but you always like reference it to capsule, which is like, <laughs> that's where we first saw it. Yes. That makes sense. That's where we first saw it. Anytime I need like, to reference capsule. I will. But I, I just think that's kind of funny. Like, he he has not been a player in the story in so long. <laughs> For 3,000 pages. Yeah. Even longer than that. Mm-hmm. He dies in part three of The Way of Kings. Spoilers, yeah. if you're reading this backwards. <laughs> All right. Ch- <laughs> Chapter 90. Back to Adolin and his trial. It's Adolin's turn to talk. What did you guys get out of out of this? They don't really give him a chance to talk, I guess, but that as far as the rules go, it is Adolin's chance to present his defense and he kind of gets to kind of not. So, what what did you guys get? I think he does a very honorable job of attempting to state his case. It doesn't go well for him by the end. I, I could kind of see this this coming. The first day kind of went surprisingly in his favor with the twist at the end with, with Notum. And so to have this one, which should be the good day, he gets to stand up and make his own case, ends up going poorly for him. So everything is going to hang on on day three. But I think he he starts off doing really well there was one segment that i did want to read because i thought it was i thought it was fantastic yeah go ahead he kind of this is kind of part of his it's pretty close to his opening statement he says this the Stormfather himself agrees that this is the correct choice people may not be perfect but they're worth helping strive for perfection and you are worth more than you can ever be sitting alone and refusing to grow. He he calls on both sides of what he's trying to do here. He's, he's trying to show that humans are not perfect, but it's worth trying to achieve perfection or to move as if you're heading in that direction. Assume that that we can get closer to perfection than we are now. And that's an honorable path to take. I love that concept. But then he also attacks it on the flip side, which he's done a little bit before of kind of poking at the honor spread and saying, Hey, you guys aren't flawless either. You guys are not perfect far from it. And he kind of pokes them and says, if you go and do this thing, which is bond more wind runners to help, fight odium 
you will be doing a far better thing, even if there's risk and even if there's death, than you would have done just sitting here doing nothing in your tower. Right. So it was it was an inspiring speech. They they kind of pick him apart for specifically one very important reason coming up in a second, but he at least starts off really well, I thought. They keep interrupting him. I think he's been interrupted at least a couple times, even before that quote of, did you know that your father tried to kill the storm father, or at least accidentally almost killed the storm father and he ignores it at first, but then they keep drilling him on it. So then he entertains the, the discussion of Dalinar, while he was in Thalen City, summons the Stormfather as a Shardblade to go through the Oathgate. And at this was expressed that he deliberately could not do this by the Stormfather, and he did it anyway. So this is the, the first one that they have, and then they have another one about Yasna and Hersbren, and then Kaladin and Syl, of Kaladin almost killed Syl, and then they end it with what? The, what was, what's their last trap they have for him? And this is where it gets really interesting for me. They bring out the Deadeye that we've been trying to figure out here yep trevor you kind of dropped a bomb on us a few chapters ago yep maybe a dozen chapters ago now and i know i think both paul and mine's minds were a little blown when we came to the realization that this cryptic dead eye that i think is the same one that pattern tries to introduce to shallan there's that whole scene where they're trying to get shallan and this cryptic dead eye to connect shallan avoids it rather drastically and so we've kind of come to this guess that shallan may have killed that cryptic spren prior to her interactions with pattern yep and so Ooh. right yes and i just thought of something else but if you have if you're going to keep going I don't want to cut you off, but I have an added added tidbit. Go with your thought, because I'm going to take it in a slightly different direction. Okay. I just thought about... So we, we've, we've talked about Formless, right? Yes. What if Formless is a form... Like, like you know how with Pattern, we have... Kind, kind of, with Pattern, we have Veil and Radiant. It's not necessarily that's because of her bond with Pattern, but I'm I'm kind of assuming that that has somewhat to do, like th some elements are connected with her, like those characters and Pattern. So I'm wondering if Formless was a personality like that that was connected with this previous sprint. Um, so the way I would now it's Formless because it's all broken and messed up and everything the theory i would have on that and i i don't remember what is coming so this is a genuine theory that uh young shallan 
has it is um you know bonding a new spren doesn't understand the implications of that her mother comes at her self-defense trauma creates formless then puts all the trauma on formless of you killed this spren you killed your mother you you did all of this bad stuff so shallan can continue Un, untouched by all of that so shallan genuinely genuinely does not remember any of that shallan as a as a character does not remember any of that formless has all of that um and then at the end of this chapter when formless comes out then we finally might get some answers there um but formless was created way before veil vale or radiant was and has been hiding way back there um, and all of the way early trauma that Shalon has is on Formless as opposed to Shalon. That adds up in my mind, or like that seems that seems pretty close. Um, I kind of just had the thought now because I've thought of Formless here as like a new thing, like a new creation that Shalon has just made. Because she's going, she's she's kind of been faltering lately. It seems like there's a lot going on. Um, yep. But then I realized, like, wait, maybe this is tied to this old spread and not a new thing. Yeah. So. I think you may be right. A lot of that <clears throat> seems like it might make sense. There's just one thing sticking in my mind. And I'd, I'd have to go back and dig up the, the details because they're vague and I think a ways in the past now. Trevor, you mentioned that that event where she kills her mother with a shard blade would have been this now dead eye cryptic. I'm making I, that assumption, yes. Right, right. That's the guess there. I had thought at some point, and maybe I'm misremembering, but I thought there were moments where pattern appears to have memories he shouldn't that there's moments where like shallan and pattern are talking about things prior to when pattern came into the story and so that makes me wonder you know still in the realm of okay well how far back does pattern go right and so i wouldn't be i wouldn't be sure if i could make that guess that that shard blade back in that moment was the previous spren or it was pattern so i'm not really sure but th those details are very fuzzy and a while back so i'm i'm really unsure there i like the theories i like the thought lanes you guys are going down yeah i i'd have to go back and find those conversations i i do know that they exist i i would be curious to know exactly what pattern right recalls or Exactly. Claims he recalls, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. So they bring forward this elusive dead eye here, and later after the after he exits the courtroom, Adolin is talking to Shalon. He's like, oh, "If only I knew who the dead eye was." Uh, is if I, only I knew who's responsible for the dead eye, then all of this would be solved and I could figure this out. And Shalon doesn't seem phased by the comet, but I mean, maybe she does because formless comes out 
two seconds later. So I don't know, maybe, but, um, I expected that to be like a buzzword for Shalon and she like completely freaks out. She doesn't seem to, but she also doesn't seem phased by it in the, uh, forum room when they bring the dead eye forward. You don't, Adolin's not looking at Shalon, so you don't, don't get any reaction from Shalon or anything like that. So maybe we'll still get that with day three or something. But at the end of this chapter, we're under the assumption, we're left with the assumption that Formless has emerged, completely thrown Veil and Radiant back into the back of the bus and taken control, and we're going to go kill or absorb Kalak. That's the that's the plan. I don't care what you guys think. I'm taking control as formless, and we're gonna go do this thing that Marie's wants. And I'm not honestly quite sure why it terrifies me so much, but that just those two words at the end of that chapter that just say formless said. Yep. Like we're getting statements directly from formless it's no longer just and and formless briefly emerged and then they you know pushed pushed her back or whatever that was oh no this is formless is in control and for some reason that is terrifying the what in the world who is shalon really may be about to come to the forefront here we yep. may just find out who shalon was and I'm really worried it's not going to be someone we're going to like. Yep. Especially if my theory is correct that Formless was created however long ago. Yep. What has Formless been doing in the meantime? Who knows? Probably not anything super good. You know? I, for one, am now much more interested in our Shalon storyline. I'm glad yeah. to hear it. I am as well. I, for those of you wondering, I really, really do not remember what happens with this storyline. It is like I'm reading it for the first time. Of I, I don't remember what's about to happen with this storyline. I really don't. Anything else for chapter 90? It's a lot of chapters. Chapter 91. Um, Teft. We get a Teft point of view chapter, and we learn a couple things in this chapter. Some internal dialogue from Teft of how he beats himself up 24-7 about how terrible of a person he is. But we do get a sliver of hope here for Teft because Teft realizes, for once, it's not my fault. I didn't do this to myself. I was a victim for once in my life. I can actually agree that I am worth protecting, worth saving. And Fenderana has been trying to beat that over Tef's head for what's probably a year at this point, that you are worth uh, more than the space you take up and all that fun stuff. And Fenderana is the voice of hope where Syl usually is in this chapter, because Syl is still lost. Uh, Kaladin has lost Syl, presumably back down uh, where the well was in, in the forum, um, in the first, in the breakaway market. 
of several chapters ago. So Kaladin has does not have Syl with him, but Teft does have Fenderana with him. Anything you guys got out of this chapter? I'm worried for Syl, of course. But there's a slightly encouraging moment where I think it's Fenderana basically says, you still have access to your surges. So you still have a bond to Syl. Yes. It's it's not that she's dead. She's just lost. So we can cling to that hope that he can find Syl again. Right. It's not like Words of Radiance where his surges are failing right. him. Right. Well, they are failing him, but because of the tower. But he's, he still has access to his surges as best he can. So that does mean that Syl is still fully bonded to him. And she has not, you know, left. Teft goes into a a fairly sad story in this chapter about his past and reveals that in addition to his mother dying as part of the whole cult, basically, that they were a part of, the Envisagers, I think it was called, where they were intentionally trying to awaken Radiance by putting Throw, themselves in harm's way. Throwing yeah. themselves off cliffs, yes. Right, right. But then... I think it's like eight-year-old Teft or something like that, realizes this is bad. And so takes it upon himself to go report it to the authorities, which ultimately results in his father getting executed. Yep. And so, yeah, that was a heart-wrenching moment. We've gotten a couple hints to this um, throughout the books. I don't know however much Teft content we get, but... We have gotten a couple of hints to this before, but Teft shares all of this to say that the Knights Radiant are worth fighting for. They, at the end of the day, my parents were correct. It, it is worth trying to sacrifice yourself in a twisted way, I guess, is the with the example he gives, but the Knights Radiant are worth fighting for when Kaladin is sitting here questioning, should we keep fighting? So that's the, that's the story that Tef chooses to, to share there. So I am, I am grateful to get some Teft content as is uh, known on the show. I have not been a fan of Teft. Not that I don't like him, but that he hasn't, he has yet to particularly wow me. <laughs> Which makes me, I feel like makes me sound extremely pompous and uh, and bad. So where was he on your ranking? I feel like he was exceptionally <laughs> low. Like, what, what he was? He was like bottom five, like forty, like forty one or something. Bad. Yeah, I don't remember how many characters were on the list. In my head, there were like twenty six characters on the list. Oh, there's much more than that, I guess. Oh, then he was like thirty seven or something. Like he he was down there and. I mean, this this is a neat chapter. I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this still was. I mean, maybe my. I still had no, nothing cool. Like, <laughs> I didn't care that much about this chapter. Still, the the stuff we get is good. The it's old good info. The old like, weathered sergeant character. You don't you don't care for. Not this one. <laughs> <laughs> that is a trope or as like a character mm -hmm. type. I'm, 
cool with. Um, I don't know why it's different here. So I, I'm getting more sympathy for him with, with stuff, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have much else to say other than we're getting a tough chapter. That's a good thing. But I, I, I'd still need more before I like change I, my rankings. I will protect even those I hate, even if the one I hate most is myself. It's oh, uh, so good. It's so uh, good. That's okay. I think that's like honestly one of my least favorite like of the radiant lines you've gotten. We've gotten a lot of good. They're good radiant lines. All of them are good. That was a good moment. I loved that moment. But as far as the radiant lines go, I was like. What's Lopin's third? I don't remember. In Donchard? Uh, something really quirky. Um, does he get his third? I thought... He does. Because his, his cousin gets his third right before he does. Oh, that's right. Because his cousin admits that he hates Lopin right in front of Isn't him. Isn't it like protecting others from himself, himself kind of thing? It, sappy, it has to do but... something with him, like, yeah, making jokes at other people's expense or something like that. Something yeah. Like that, along yeah. those lines. I don't remember. I'll look it up. Anyway, um, yeah, so we get a Teft backstory. Fenderana gets some dialogue, which we've heard a little bit from her before in our brief uh, Teft content back in Oathbringer. But since then, we don't really have a uh, she prefers to <coughs> manifest herself full full form. So I guess that's just a preference thing as opposed to like huge implications that we thought way back in the way of Kings. I was actually bothered by exactly that. Yeah. When they said that, I was like, oh, that's cool. Wait, no, that's actually not cool. Because <laughs> there was that moment back in Way of Kings yep. where Syl appears full size. And you're like, wow, it's this incredible moment where there's so much emotion or whatever going on here that Syl is full size. And apparently, yeah, they can just do that whenever they want. Yeah, it's just a preference okay. thing. Yeah. All right. No, <laughs> I, I do agree that it kind of diffuses that big, that cool moment of back in the way of Kings. I've been here before. You can't make me do this run. And yeah, it's just Syl being dramatic. Anything else for 91? Just the that our characters are wrestling with the okay, what do we do now? We have we have lift. We are we know we can awaken the radiance, but like how do we do that and what do we do once we have them all? If we've got a big group of groggy radiance, like now what? Right. Yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up. I do have that on the outline. I forgot about it. What what do you guys think is their next move? They don't even that they end this chapter with let's all think about it. What what for what our next move is? What do you guys think is their next move? What do they do? So they have two wind runners, right? Yep. Teft and Kaladin and an edge dancer. And an edge dancer. I think you need to send you need to get one of your Windrunners out and send for help. You need to get either Kaladin or Teft outside the bubble and get them to Dalinar to 
get them all the inf- inside information and bring back the army to, to assault the tower. Right. I don't think you send everybody because I think you do stay at the tower to see what you can do to try and save some radiance. Maybe it's like sneak in and steal a few at a time. Maybe it's, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm with whoever brings it up in this chapter. If I don't think the idea is run down there, awaken everybody, and then run down the hall, try and right, right, <laughs> try and fight your way out, like jump yeah, out the window. That, that yeah, that was the, apparently the the predominant idea. There was oh, we'll just break the window and throw ourselves off. Like <laughs> okay, stormlight, that'll be fine. It, sure, send for help. That's what I think they should do. Pick one person, send them for help. Paul. This is back to your thing from last episode of when the reader is stumped, you know it's it's good writing. I don't know what they do at this point. Like besides maybe talk to Navani and see what Navani says, but I still don't know what Navani's advice would be. So I don't I don't know. Uh, honestly, with all the tower sequence that's been going on for a while, this is kind of how I felt. I don't. Two things. One, this first, I think, sounds negative. I don't mean this in a negative way. I don't want to end us as a downer because that's definitely not what I like. Am am meaning? Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like I haven't understood the scope of peril on this in in our story. This book, like the tower has your your theory. Of this tower has been under attack. Mm-hmm. And it feels like it's been under attack for forever, and it feels like everyone is on the edge of extinction or death forever. But that's just because I'm reading this in a weekly allotted increments, probably. Right. Um. But he, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like it is in my mind. It's like chalked up to we're gonna get some big. Hero step in upgrade Kaladin like it has to be some kind of big thing. They're not just going to be like, all right, now we're going to turn about and uh, win the battle. You know, right. like, something has to happen. But I don't know. Have we seen Dalinar in a long time? Like, is something going to happen again? Like, I mean, that was the big Sander Lynch in book three. Was he opens up a perpendicularity and it changes a ton of stuff? But, right. Um, I don't imagine that will be reused um, as the Sander Lynch of this book. Right. But, like, we need something. We definitely need something big. Where where did uh, we leave Dalinar? What's he doing right now? End of part three. He went to some town. Was it Kolinar or was it Carbranth? In my head, it's one of those places. I was intrigued and excited for him to show back up because we left him off to go to the town where Ishar is. He yes. wanted to go find the Herald Ishar to learn mm. more about bondsmithing. Bondsmith, yeah. Yep. Now that is something I would be very interested in, in hearing about. So he he gets the realization that, oh, I can influence things across space in real time. I can... He he saves Kaladin's life across space in real time, comes out of the high storm vision, and then it's like, I need to know more about my powers. I 
I if if that's something I can do, I need to know more about it. I need to know what I can do with that. So then he runs off to go talk to Ishar, and that's where we left him. So back to the tower. I think there's three options, and I'm not sure which one they're going to go with. One is reverse reverse the pillar. So the, the pillar is powering the tower, powering the knight's radiant, and Raboniel has reversed it so that it's suppressing the radiance. Option one is reverse reverse that and empower the radiance again, suppress the, the fused. That that's option one. Option two is Elliot, what you're saying, go for help and assault the tower without your radiance. Go go get all your yep. normal soldiers, walk up the tunnels and assault the tower that way. That's option two. Option three is abandon the tower. I think. If you if you accept your losses, get everybody out of the tower, let the fuse take the tower. And then you can maybe reassess your situation, but you need to get Navani out, and you need to get your your radiance out. Is option three, um, and I'm not sure which one they they're gonna go with. I don't know which one they should go with. I don't know. Read and find I, out, Trevor. Yeah, I am under the assumption that our heroes here can't. Maybe I'm doubting them. I feel like, given the tools they have, they can't quite save everything on their own. I think they're going to need help. And I think they might come in the form of Dalinar because of what he's been learning. Yeah. Um, but there needs to be some kind of nudge to to shift some tides, I think. With 92, our last chapter of the episode... Venli is talking with Raboniel, and by the end of the chapter, Venli has revealed and been revealed several key points um, between her and Raboniel. Raboniel, at the end of the chapter, tells her, or gives her a scout report of an old um, human scout report that says... That nomadic group that we found on the other side of the Shattered Plains, yeah, those are more Parshendi. And the scout doesn't think that much of it, but that means the world to Venli. Venli, up until this point, has been titled and believed herself to be the last listener. She has gone across the entirety of Roshar, all of last book, saying, I am the last of my people. And here's a scout report that says, there are thousands of... The, that rogue Parshendi group that left before the storms hit of children and elderly that left over a year ago, uh, two years ago at this point. Um, so she is not the last of her people. And it ends the chapter here and she just starts sprinting down the hallway. We don't even know what she's going to do with this information yet, but she's just like, does not care any pretense of, serving Raboniel anymore, she is, she's out of there. She's going to go find uh, the listeners that she doesn't care about anything else at this point. And remember her mother was part of that group. Yep. That was left. And so this could bring our flashback Venley and current Venley stories full circle. If Flashback Venley had basically completely forsaken her mother and basically given up 
and didn't even have like a relationship with her anymore to now present day Venley has realized what has happened, where she's come. And this moment is a, I have a chance at redemption with my mother. That could be powerful. And finds, finds her mother grabs an edge dancer and says, please heal her from her Mm -hmm. dementia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I can, I can see exactly why this would be very important information to Venley. It also says a lot about her mental state of she never even considered that they survived to be an option before now. Because Elliot, you you assumed the same that they had been washed down the ravine with the the Everstorm or the High Storm or both. But apparently they have survived somehow, and that reveal I assume is yet to come of how they survived that. Yeah, I remember we talked about this a while back, even like a little ways after it was happening, we were, we were theorizing, Hey, that those, those Parshendi could come back into the story. But I had kind of given up on that because it's been so long. Right. I had assumed that, no, that was, that was a you know possibility that was dangling out there that that wasn't going to come to fruition. So this, this, this was a surprise for me. It's, it's in the similar vein of both of you, with 100% confidence at the end of Words of Radiance said that Esh and I was still alive because she had just, you know, teetered yep. too far back into the chasm, falls 200 yards and dies. And both of you are like, she had shard plate. She was in storm form. She is 100% fine. And she's dead. Still a little mad about that. I think our big reveal there will be she's alive somehow. Yeah, it's another Yasna situation. Turns out she was an else caller or something all along. The there's another reveal in this chapter, accidentally, that Venli in front of Raboniel attumes one of the old rhythms. And the Regals are supposed to be deaf to those rhythms and cannot attune them. And Raboniel looks her straight in the eye and te- and asks her, what are you? And Venli avoids the question. I feel like she slipped up with her rhythms a couple times in front of Raboniel. Maybe this is the first time in front of Raboniel specifically. Um, but she slipped up with her rhythms a couple times. But this one certainly alerted Raboniel. And Raboniel still gives her the writ of authority. So I guess Raboniel's not that upset that she can still hear the old rhythms, even though she seems to understand the, exactly the implications of her being able to hear the old rhythms and what that means. I was quite surprised that Raboniel didn't immediately do something about it. Yeah. Me too. I'm not quite sure what to... My first take on it was that she didn't actually notice. But then when I was going back over with my notes, it's like, no, she notices. Definitely noticed. Yeah, the way she's talking to her and her attitude changes. So, I don't know, maybe she doesn't think that Venli is a threat or she doesn't fully understand exactly what Venli is or, I don't know. I mean, Raboniel is kind of more the manipulative type. So... She's the, I'm going to control the scene. I'm going to to control the situation from behind the scenes. 
So maybe she's going to now, you know, factor this into her plans, but not actually like confront Bentley too directly about it. Right. Maybe she'll spy on her for another chapter before she does anything. Yeah. Then watches her carve away a wall with her hands and is like, aha, gotcha. Right. We end the chapter with uh, Venley getting her rid of authority. So she is no longer in the service of Raboniel and Leshwi, for that matter, because her rid of authority pulls her to not quite equal rank with the Fused, but a regal that is not in service of the Fused. So she. It seems like we're wrapping up fairly quickly the Raboniel. Venli Leshwi politics here, and I'm wondering where it's going to end and what that means. That's a good point. We are seemingly wrapping up a few sort of loose ends a bit, which I always, the suspicious reader in me, always gets a little worried that someone's about to die when that happens. Yes. And if we're if we're going to start to tie up a few things, you kind of conveniently can set it up to we've closed off all the questions and now that character can die off without us being too, you know, bothered or left, you know, hanging. So it is just set? one of the downsides of reading as at the slow pace that we do is yeah. that you get enough time to think about that type of thing of like, oh, this character arc is coming to it. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> uh-huh. Hold on. Uh-huh. Yep. So yeah, have we just prepped Raboniel to be Slade? Perhaps? Maybe. Alright. Anything else for this episode, gentlemen? Uh, That does it for me. I think my brain's fried. Likewise, I'm excited to uh, finish part four. Next week? We finish part four? For next week, yeah. I'm really excited about that. Um, And then looking to part five yeah if it's not gonna get crazy by the end of part four then we're guaranteed crazy in the next part so that is the brandon sanderson promise that you've come to be Mm -hmm. accustomed with so let's read and find out let's reconvene next week thank you gentlemen let's do it